Hi, everyone. Duncan Fletcher here. Welcome back to the PADS Athlete Development Summit podcast series. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a phenomenal conversation on deck for you today. We're speaking with Dr. Marissa Nichols from the University of California, Berkeley, and Cal Athletics. Today, we're talking about the importance of metrics and data collection and why that is absolutely critical to the successful execution and development of athlete development programs and services. If you want your interventions to have an impact, you need to measure, you need to do the research, you need to collect the data. Dr. Nichols is uniquely positioned to talk to us about metrics and data as she led the N4A's Assessment and Standards Subcommittee, which aimed to create a national blueprint for practitioners to measure success. Not only does she care deeply about metrics and data, she's also a former NCAA athlete playing D1 at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. We're extraordinarily fortunate to have Dr. Nichols with us today. Let's dive in. Hello, friends. The PADS Athlete Development Summit podcast series is extraordinarily fortunate to have Aura Health as a sponsor this year. Founded in 2013, Aura Health is the company behind the health tech wearable, the Aura Ring, which provides actionable insights on sleep and its impact on your overall health. It's used by top performers across a variety of industries, including the NBA, the WNBA, NASCAR, UFC, and more. And in fact, I've got one on my finger, which I had before Aura even thought about sponsoring pads. I can tell you one thing for sure. It's definitely helped me align my sleep, which was an absolute car wreck. The Aura Ring delivers personalized readiness and activity and sleep insights automatically to the Aura app, providing wearers with practical steps for long-term improvement. I can attest to that. The Aura Ring is not a medical device and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, monitor, or prevent medical conditions or illnesses. For more information, I'd urge you to check out AuraRing.com. And on behalf of PADS, we thank you for your sponsorship of the PADS Athlete Development Summit podcast series. Hi, everyone. Duncan Fletcher here from PADS. I hope everyone is doing well. I'm here with my colleague, Stephanie Thorburn. Stephanie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Well, I always feel compelled to ask. (laughs) We're also very fortunate today to have a guest with us, Dr. Marissa Nichols. Dr. Nichols, welcome to the PADS podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. And I think there's a ton that we get to talk about. Um, And we're just going to dive right in. Why why get into the, or or why wait to get into the fun stuff? Because I think most of the folks here understand the importance of measuring and creating metrics in order to really understand what is happening in our athlete development initiatives. So just right out of the gate, I'm going to ask you, from your perspective, how important to you is the measuring and the metrics when it comes to athlete development services for athletes? I'd say, Duncan, it's for me personally, it's the foundation of everything that I do. It's that underlying framework that guides all of our work. And it's something that I become a little more known for in this space. It's something I'm really passionate and excited about and continue to try to hone my skill set and expertise so that I can hopefully lay a great foundation for others to to utilize. And if this can be something that we lead with and an established area of our work, I think that it will suit us really well in terms of increasing positions at institutions, in professional organizations, um, professionalizing our organization even further and bringing continued standardization to everything that we do. Well, you just kind of hit on all the reasons why we definitively need to take this seriously, for sure. 
So when you began the process of exploring the metric side of uh, athlete development, what really jumps out to you in terms of what's critical, what's important? What have you focused on as you've sort of moved through your career? You've been at several different major institutions. How has your thinking on the metrics and data collection changed over time? I think it started out as something that I was curious about and experimented with at UNLV to start when I was working on my doctorate and building a, their version of a life skills program, which is what it was called at the time. And it was a way to demonstrate the return on investment from the athletic department. They had just built a, a brand new graduate assistantship that I was fortunate to step into. And so I found myself actually after you might smile at this, I hope the audience says after every event, I would summarize the results and put out a report. I'm not so sure how many people read those reports. And I soon learned that, you know, a different type of tempo and packaging of results could be even more effective that I'd, I'd love to talk about a little bit later. And so it, it my curiosity began there. And I was in a doctorate program that allowed me to study different um, measures that we use to put words to people's development. So whether it's growth mindset, which was a big focus of my research or looking at other internal factors among high and low performers, and then being able to use those measures in athlete development programming and look at, are there any improvements in the student's development or in their overall performance, which is really where I was um, leaning towards. I think that coaches and athletic departments, um, professional organizations, they're looking to understand, are we impacting the bottom line? Are we actually moving the needle on an athlete's performance? In my case, in college athletics, it's academic and athletic success. In a professional organization, it might just solely be on athletic success. But I think the, the drive there was to determine, is there a way that we can actually improve these ultimate outcomes through measuring a, um, one's development and seeing how we can move from more of a science to practice model. When I, when I was at BU, uh, I was a, a grant funded role. It was a $1 million gift um, for the department. So again, an opportunity to show return on investment. And um, we started to put numbers to what we were doing. And I remember my athletic director at the time, he's wonderful. And I asked him, how will you know that I'm successful here? And his response to me was, I'll just know. And for me, that, that wasn't enough. I felt like I still had to quantify and, and put some measures to these outcomes we were after and pursuing. And then from there, we started to, to do this more on the national landscape at N4A, our national organization for academic advisors and student athlete development professionals. My colleagues, Dr. Christina Navarro and Dr. Lisa Rubin and I did a, a larger presentation on data-driven measures in student athlete development programming, which took off. And then we were able to create a subcommittee in our national organization towards this idea of quantifying our standards and our measures. And I've served on a task force as well that's working to put some of these actual measures in place because we don't have those, those measures yet. I mean, for academics, we have APR, um, we, but we don't have anything yet for student athlete development and quantifying those measures. So at Cal, same approach, $13 million gift, the return on investment is, is really important to the donor to be able to share what we've done and where we're at. So we've started from the ground up uh, through 
needs assessments and listening tours and collecting a lot of information about the department to then determining what are our highest aspirations for our student athletes. And at Cal, we have eight. And then from there, we've attached uh, an ultimate outcome for each aspirational goal. Um, we've, we've attached measures to understand if they're learning and growing in specific ways. And then we have measures to understand overall attendance and engagement and utilization. So we have a, a, a leveled approach here that we're also using, using at the national level. And it's fun and exciting. We're just collecting our data now and getting ready to analyze the results. It's a long and arduous pro process, not to deter anyone, uh, because it's also an exciting one that we look forward to sharing our results um, and, and moving from there. So the the so two questions actually is one the the results that you're collecting right now are is that just within the the Cal Berkeley environment or is this a broader um, a, a broader data population that you're drawing from? Right now, it's our UC Berkeley student athlete population, so our 850 student athletes, and then next year we'll come out with a coaches metric as well to also assess the students. So currently, it's it's at our institution. Very cool. And then I guess one of the things I want to kind of just jump on is, you know, the term, you know, return on investment. And I think, you know, that's a critical, whether you're working at the student athlete level, working at the major professional level, is everybody, like you said, they're looking for that ROI. Why are we making this investment? And I'm curious, based on where, where you've seen it go and where you find yourself today, what do you think the, the people that you report to really care about? Like, what is the ROI that they really want to see? You mentioned eight pillars, but like you said, not everyone's reading that report from page one to a hundred. What do you think they really give a rip about? I think that's a wonderful question that we're also uncovering because this is a newer space. I think that everyone's trying to understand what's really most important and also dug in what, what can we actually measure and, and share? And so I come from the mind that we can measure anything and we can be really innovative in that approach as well and pull from the, the literature to, to accomplish that. What, what matters at Cal, uh, attached to this $13 million gift is the idea that we are preparing student athletes to be extremely successful while they're here and also um, achieve exponential success for the rest of their life. So our donor is really in, interested in understanding our, when they leave Cal, are they positioned um, to, to flourish? And so we've named that outcome, position to land your first golden opportunity. And so one of our major focus points is preparing student athletes to land a golden opportunity, not just an opportunity. So you'll see a trend across um, the nation to report out on postgraduate outcomes, which is an awesome and, and really important measure. And we've tried to enhance that one step further by determining, is this really the very best opportunity that our student athlete could have landed when they left? And the way we're looking at that is through a few different lenses. One is, does this role meet the criteria that's important to them, such as it aligns with their interests and values? It's Maybe they care about prestige and it, this role aligns with prestige. Maybe they care about salary or geographical location or this role preparing them for graduate school. So we're looking at criteria. Does this match um, what's important to the student? We're looking at and asking them, 
is this, you know, are you extremely satisfied with this opportunity and where you've landed? And where are you? Where are you landed? And what does that look like? And then figuring out the demographics for that. It's uh, our goal here is to create some sort of scoring system um, for these different outcomes. And so we're just scratching the surface with first identifying what's important and then result uh, reporting that out. So I think our AD and our donor care a lot about that particular outcome. I also would say at the foundational level, engagement across the department is really important. Are we really meeting the unique needs of 850 student athletes and coaches? Not just in a broad sweep, but are we really understanding their needs and are we helping uh, them grow at the you know, most important level that, to them? So I, I think individualizing the work as well. And then we're hopeful that we're also quantifying athletic performance. If we can show or look at how athletic performance might be improving while working with us in the Institute, is that something that coaches and our AD and our donor might be really excited about too? And that's something that um, we're still determining. You know, you, you mentioned um, meeting the needs, and I think you bring such a valued perspective because you yourself um, were a collegiate student athlete that found a lot of success, but also faced adversity and, and trials and tribulations. If you can share a little bit about your journey as a student athlete and how that led you to choose your career path and, and specifically work in the field that you're working in now. I'd love to. When I was recruited to play at UNLV, I was really drawn to the idea of building something special from the ground up, which has become an underlying um, value in my work. It's just building and contributing in a meaningful way. And so when I went to campus, I was positioned to pitch on a scholarship and coach pulled me aside and said, yeah, you're not going to pitch. So you need to work on outfield and hitting if you're going to play. So I had to tap into, I didn't have the words for it at the time, but a growth mindset about myself and what I was capable of and commit to this new role. So my role shifted, my identity shifted. I was able to buy in and and thankfully achieve a really high level of success as a first team All-American and played for Team USA. And, and then I had three years, as you mentioned, of injuries um, where I lost like my identity and I had to figure out who I was outside of being a good athlete I had to learn how to lead from the bench. It was a really challenging time. And I think the, the most important things that came from those experiences after I was able to work my way back and, and help my team find success and finish with my master's. Um, I was a six-year student athlete, so my teammates called me grandma because um, I was much older than them. So I had the highs and lows and of all everything possible, coaching changes, everything. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. And the two things that emerged for me there was one, my first coaches that recruited us or recruited me, they really were invested in developing us as human beings. And so I, I believe that that particular focus allowed me to reach my highest level of performance. So that's immediately where I became drawn to this idea of better humans, better performers. And then I would also say there were so many times where I knew I didn't have the mental tools or the skills I needed to be as successful as I could have been. And I held myself back in certain ways. And I, I just wish there were more resources and structures in place. And so that was a pain point as well. And I was initially 
working to become a licensed sports psychologist, applying to PhD programs in that area. And then my alma mater called and said, we want to build this new role. Would you be interested? And I had to really make sure I wanted to switch paths to more of a student development focus. And I took the chance. I fell in love with the work. And that's why I love building these structures and opportunities for student athletes to achieve their greatest potential and highest levels of success. Well, thank you for sharing that. And and you mentioned about the influence of coaches. So when you're approaching coaches about the work that you're doing, what is your approach so they see the value in the metrics, they see the value in in your approach that um, student-athlete development is something that's valuable and how it's going to benefit them as a coach um, and it's going to benefit their student-athletes and and the performance of the team? I really believe that, and I, I really appreciate this question because coaches are the gateway to this coming together. If if we don't have their buy-in and support and excitement, we're not going to reach the students the way that we, we potentially can. We started with going to them and trying to identify what they saw as the core needs for their student athletes and team, whether it was around leadership development or overall well-being or resilience or courage, um, time management. We heard the, the gamut of, of ideas and, and things that were on their mind. We themed all those ideas and then paired it with a quantitative assessment to really get into what their needs were. And then we put together these eight aspirational outcomes and went to them. I'll never forget, it was I, two of my colleagues who we hired, it was like their first week on the job. We go into this head coach's retreat for presenting our masterpiece that we had been building for months and months and months. And it's a it's an amazing group and it's a tough group. They're not afraid to tell you how they feel. So they said this, yes, here's where we would want this to shift. Here's a focus point that I, we don't see. And so not that we made all the changes to, you know, everyone's going to have their input. We took it to heart. We went back to the drawing board and we made the adjustments that were appropriate and we continued to iterate with them. So from that, I'm sharing and suggesting that getting them involved in the process is tremendously helpful. And then from there, being able to show them things that uh, are going to actually affect what what matters most to them, which of course is the whole student-athlete experience, but also seeing their student-athlete improve and having a, a better sense of well-being. So I think speaking the language of the coach, understanding what's important to them, when we show up, we always ask our coaches to be in the workshops with us. It's part of our philosophy, too. We have an incredible um, sport performance professional and Dr. Greg Chow, who I know um, many know from this community. So he always has our coaches in on those sessions so they can learn the language and speak the language that's being taught. And then I think drilling down to when we report out, like, actually things that, that matter and, and to them. And this will be our first go around at Cal. But what I've learned from my previous experiences is I can go in with this really awesome report and show our men's basketball coach that, you know, so-and-so's resilience scores went from three to five over the last year. And what does that really mean? He's going to, he looked at me, actually, this is a true story and said, well, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to make of that. So a better way would have been, t- you know, the, we're seeing some improvements here in in Tyler's report out on resilience. 
you know, what examples have you seen on the court or how has that looked in watching him grow as a captain and maybe even being able to pull out um, examples that Tyler gave us and share that with coach to see if, if they're seeing that as well. So I think there's a lot of opportunities to learn how to speak their language and be really effective in that. We pride ourselves on excellence and trust. So showing up, doing a really exceptional job and continuing to build that relationship with our, our coaches. And I think that's so key. You know, you're getting their input, their buy-in, creating that relationship. They're more likely to continue to utilize the assessments because they're seeing the value. So it becomes more of a collaborative effort. Yes, yes, exactly. Well, having been a D1 coach, I know we're a pain in the ass, to say the least. <laughs> um, because at the end of the day, those guys are coaching, gals are coaching to win. It's all about, are you getting the W's at the end of the day? And I know you alluded to this, which I think is awesome, is that if you're not talking about performance and actually helping improve performance now, you know, it becomes it becomes problematic because then you're not speaking to the athletes looking to perform, the coaches are looking for performance. So I'm curious, um, as you treat these gatekeepers, these coaches, uh, or you treat them as gatekeepers, how do you talk to them and how are you beginning the process of trying to measure or tie in and relate performance to these to these sort of broader outcomes that are tied to building a better human being? Because again, I think everything you said there is 100% on point, but I just know that, you know, as you well know, when boots hit the ground, are we winning? Are we performing better? What does that look like? And I'm just curious how you're, how you're dealing with that problem. Yeah, it's, and I'll preface this too by saying, you know, I don't have all the answers set. I think this is a lot of growth and, and learning as we go and making mistakes. And, um, but I'm happy to share how we're approaching it now and what's, what's been effective so far. So we're thinking about measurement in four different levels, four at the national level, three at Cal. We've just condensed uh, one of the levels at Cal. So let me start with at the national level at N4A, the organization that I'm embedded in as a student athlete development professional. Level four is that ultimate measure that we can pull from a data source. That's that outcome that coaches care most about, that maybe our athletic director or donor cares most about. And so one of, one of those measures is GPA. Um, from the academic side. And then for athletic performance, we're actually pulling from external sources on postseason appearances, individual athletic awards that that student athlete earned that year from the conference level or the national level. And then we have a, a measure that I actually use in my um, dissertation work and research on athletic performance. It also looks at roster status, you know, are they first, second, or third team? Are they performing to their full potential, self-report? Um, what's their scholarship amount? So we're taking those um, unique factors and creating a culminating score for that student. So the student athlete will then have a athletic performance score um, year to year that we may or may not see improvement in. And then we're also asking a variety of questions in our annual assessment around important um, skills that we're trying to measure. So whether it's their resilience score, their courage score, their role identity, their growth mindset, their leadership, um, authentic leadership style, we have these level 
two and three measures that are looking at how they're thinking differently or how they're experiencing the world. And so we're looking to see if there's any improvements there and how is that impacting that ultimate measure level four. The key thing too that we were curious about is the students that are engaging with us. Are we seeing any growth in those level two or three outcomes? So if they're thinking or acting differently and are we seeing any differences in that level four measure of that ultimate performance outcome? And so it would be a huge win. We don't know this yet, but if our students who are engaging with us the most, they're attending workshops, they're in our first year and second year class, they're um, seeing us in a one-to-one capacity, are those students more likely to improve those outcomes in, in those areas, which is another way that we might be able to demonstrate our effectiveness. So those are some of the ways that we're we're thinking about it and conceptualizing it. And I'm also happy to dive into any of that further because I know it's a lot. There's a lot there for sure. And I think it's, uh, and I'm actually, we probably may need, probably will likely need to have a follow-up podcast to kind of dive into that in order to really get our arms around what you guys pull out of that. It's, uh, it sounds very similar to some of the work that was done, I think it was by David Lavallee and what he's doing in the National Rugby League stuff and out of the UK to kind of understand, all right, are folks that are engaging in athlete development services, are they having positive performance outcomes? And I think he came to the conclusion that yes, they are. So yeah, I'd be fascinated to uh, kind of see how that continues to play out. But maybe to kind of step back a little bit, and I'm curious, you know, knowing what you know now, and if you're talking to an athlete development specialist who's working at a club or is is starting in a university environment, what would you want that individual to be aware of? What information would you want them to have at hand and say, look, if you're going to begin the process of metricing and collecting data, how would you approach it? And, and what information would you want that person to have in their back pocket so that they could be effective? I appreciate this question so much as well. And I'll give a more robust answer, but I, but I want to preface it by saying um, you can start small and, and l- taking small strides and, and making any sort of progress in this area is a huge, huge win. So it can seem overwhelming at times, but you don't have to do it all at once, just like anything in our, in our world. So I'm going to lay out some ideas, but also knowing that any progress in this area is, is fantastic. So I think the, one of the most important things, if we look at the setback and just think about the whole assessment cycle, I think that sometimes we go in and we get caught up in what kind of like post-survey can I use here? What questions can I ask on this, you know, event survey? And I think those are important, but if you step back and see the whole picture, I think that that's only a piece of that puzzle. And so I'd always encourage not only myself, but I try to practice this every time I go to a a new school or I'm at a school, but just really understanding the context. And so gathering as much as you can around what's important to that organization or institution, what is in their strategic plan? What is that university looking to move? Um, what are our coaches invested in? You know, understanding the whole picture. What, what are the unique needs of this population? One of a mistake I made was uh, going into a school and 
I guess, learning that every every school and student athlete is different. They're all student athletes, but the institution they're at and um, they have sometimes different priorities. Um, so I think really understanding that unique population. So getting as much, um, getting your hands on all those different pieces of the puzzle, puzzle reading, um, asking questions is, is really important to that that process. And sorry to interject, because I think one of the key things is, is I, I really want to get your take on this. Is, and obviously, I'd love for you to continue your answer here. But when you're beginning the process of engaging your athletic director, you're engaging your coaches, how do you how do you talk to them about this is what you're looking to do? How have you found what are some of those initial conversations you can have so you don't freak people out about, oh, you're going to collect data? Oh, crap. What does this mean? And I'm just curious, how, how do you have those initial conversations with these, you know, these coaches, these athletic directors, so they don't get completely spooked about the conversation of going through this data collection process? I'm just curious, what would you recommend? What has been successful for, for you? Or maybe it's always been a battle, but I'm just curious how you got through it. This is a great question. Starting with the relationship, Duncan, I think you have to take some time as, as with anything to build a trust in that relationship first before introducing the concept of something that could be sensitive to folks of collecting data, which is certainly sensitive. Um, so I think establishing that trust, um, painting a picture of where you want to go and why this is important. And I think for us, where we found success was being able to attach this annual assessment to that vision and where we're headed. Basically, our approach was that this data and this annual assessment is the foundation to the Institute. We won't be able to report out on postgraduate outcomes or leadership development or where students are headed or how their mental performance is improving without this piece. And we have attached it also to recruiting for us is it, our coaches really use and leverage athlete development work in their recruiting talks. And so being able to share that data is sort of synonymous with the whole process is important. And then also doing a lot of upfront work to, to ensure confidentiality, we, we provided a report, we presented, we shared exactly how we're protecting our student athletes. We, you know, throughout the entire assessment, our students also got little notifications that their coaches wouldn't be able to review their individual responses to promote, you know, their candid answers. So we tried a lot of different strategies to show them exactly how this was going to be used. And then when we report out, it's, it's protected as well. So we will do individual reports for each team, but those won't be public. We'll just go straight to the rugby coach, for example, and say, coach, here's the report for the rugby program. When we report more aggregately on the department, you know, that we'll also be protecting students' individual identities there. So I think laying out those pieces of the puzzle helped us a lot in that process. We're working on creating a once we were putting forward our first annual report, this institute is new. We just finished our first year. We're going to actually create a recruiting infographic from that. So to be able to equip our coaches with maybe a one-page inf infographic of our Cal student-athletes are able to land these types of jobs or opportunities, and here's a starting salary, and here's um, what kind of leadership contributions they've had, and here's the types of community engagement opportunities they've they've 
um, been a part of that have impacted the lives of others. And here's their, um, I think the challenge in this too, is learning what, what speaks to a 15, 16, 17 year old. And we're learning too, the parents are a big part of that puzzle piece. So I think showing, giving the coach some actual numbers and examples that they can use in these talks of how we're developing them for life during and after Cal is important. When they come to campus, speaking to your question about the cycle, one of the first things they do is um, enroll in our first year seminar, which is a partnership with the Athletic Studies Center. Our goal is to get 100% of our freshmen in that class. There's, there's six different sections. We're at about 70% enrollment. But in that class, we, I think they get sort of a foundational introduction to our culture of assessment as well. So they take a career interest inventory in that class that we utilize um, in advising sessions to help them understand their interests and goals. And then each year they'll be asked to take this mandated assessment that just becomes a part of the culture as well. So in our first year, we had about 50% adherence, which I'm not so I'm not sure yet how to um, it's a win, but also we have a ways to go. It's a bit, it's a starting point for us, but that feels like goal... a win. 50%. That feels like a win. <laughs> you should be getting yourself a pat on the back for that. It's a, it takes 30 to 40 minutes. And our goal is to thank you, by the way, I appreciate that. We want to create it. We want it to be an experience too. That's really a reflective opportunity for the students, not just a survey they're taking, but really getting to sit with like the questions, which are, what types of leadership contributions did you have this year to school, sport, and in life? Did you empower a teammate to, um, you know, do something great? Did you take a different role in the team to help improve athletic performance? So actually giving them a chance to sit with what they did this year. And then our goal and dream is at the end of their four years, five years, be able to give them a profile and snapshot of here's everything you've done and accomplished. And using that those data points, so the other part of this cycle that you'd asked about is at their one-to-one -one advising sessions, our plan is to take that assessment data from the year before and have some scoring tools to be able to speak to them and say, this is looking amazing. You have a lot of alumni and mentors in your network. I see an opportunity for growth here in terms of um, this particular skill set. And then being able to provide an intervention or refer them to the place where they can develop that skill set. So they'll see how we're actually using and leveraging the data. We're not just asking them to do this assessment and it's going into the abyss. It's we're we are using this data to actually guide how we advise them to be really intentional and really data driven in our approach, um, which is something that we're excited about and think is, is unique as well. Yes, exactly. Being able to customize this to them and and more scientifically say, this is why we advise you to do this, or this is how we're thinking about it based on what we're seeing in, in your you know, annual reporting. So excited to see how that unfolds and appreciate you seeing that as well. You mentioned the term, um, you're kind of alluding it to um, obliquely, but you're t you've, you've said you practice a science, I'm not using all kinds of words over again, but science to practice is sort of the MO that you're operating under. Can I get you to talk a little bit more about what that means? It's actually the first time I've actually heard it. Um, so I'm just curious if I could get you to define what that is and, and then how that 
what that actually means to you in terms of how it applies to your practice. Of course. I'm blessed with this amazing team of uh, other professionals who have gone through graduate programs and take the, the research and literature part really seriously. And our approach is to continue to look at the literature and see what is effective and be able to to essentially take that information and apply it into what we do. So let me give a few examples of that. Uh, when we were figuring out the transferable skills that we wanted to ask about in our annual assessment, we didn't just come up with like the transferable skills that we all sort of know and can name that happen in sport, but we went to the literature, reviewed different articles and, and were able to pull from a, diff a few different models and frameworks to frame our, our items. So another example is there's probably, there, there's maybe 20 plus um, measures we pulled from the literature, um, thanks in, in, in great part to Dr. Greg Chow, who I mentioned earlier, that are actually valid and reliable instruments, Duncan. So we looked at, okay, how is how are we measuring resilience? Okay, let's this seems like a really great scale in terms of its validity and reliability. Let's pull that into our work. So I think just drawing on as much from the literature as we can in our framing, whether it's in the assessment or um, our model is really important. And also we are a team that works on, um, I'm a big Cal Newport and deep work fan, and we have working sessions and everyone's really encouraged to think deeply about for example, how they give a workshop. Um, so looking at best practices from the literature or looking at the high impact practices and what's effective in a first year class for college students and actually going into the literature and, and looking at what's worked and then being able to model that in our execution. So when we say science to practice, those are some examples that come to mind. And I'm curious when you're going through the process of looking at different frameworks and different indexes in order to kind of really understand what's taking place within your student athlete population, are you then taking, you know, so if you're pulling, uh, I'll just pull on, for example, resilience, I think Connor Davidson is a pretty common uh, use. Like, are you guys taking that and then using that um, straight up or are you modifying it in order to kind of uh, have it hit on the specific issues that are relevant to your institution? There are some um, I think you're hitting on an important point. Some measures that we've modified a little bit for our um, our particular use. And so we keep track of, you'd be maybe dizzy by the spreadsheets that we, we have, but we keep track of all these different scales and items and where we've made adjustments and where it's, you know, where we've made some modifications. And we've also worked hard to find abbreviated versions of the scales where we can, because asking student athletes to sit with a 100 item assessment um, is not easy. And we wanna make sure that we're being really thoughtful and using, we ask ourselves and really scrutinize, why are we even asking this question? Like, what is this qualitative data actually going to give us? What are we, are we gonna use it? So th this is a very rigorous process too to, to find out what's, what's best for our population. And I think it kind of speaks to what you said earlier too, which is key, like the idea that putting your student athletes through this process, putting any athlete through any kind of assessment process to do it just for, just to do it is, is, is counterproductive. And, and then as you alluded to is that if you don't actually sit down with the athlete, 
and give them the output or some component output of that, um, then it's going to, you know, substantially decrease adherence going forward. It's just, they're not going to have that buy-in and then that's going to hurt what you're trying to accomplish on the development side. So I think that that intentionality, as you said, is absolutely critical if you're going to engage in any kind of legitimate data collection metric building process, you're shooting yourself in the foot otherwise. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So from your perspective, you know, you've kind of touched on a couple of things I actually already wanted to hit on in that answer. So I appreciate that in terms of, you know, how you guys are going into the data and what you're pulling out of it. Um, kind of going back to your starting from scratch, what are some of the key metrics that you think are important to track when you're looking at, now, obviously it's going to vary from institution to institution and from, you know, different specialists to different specialists, but what have you seen being particularly critical to grab out of the gate in order to have a, a feel for what's happening within a, within an athlete population? I'm going to push myself to not answer by saying it depends. <laughs> there you go. You know what? There's nothing wrong with being ambiguous here. Everybody that's listening to this is probably understands exactly why you're saying that, but I may I think, keep pushing you to give you a specific, specific answer. I love it. Keep, yes. Keep pushing me. That sounds perfect. And I would, you know, once you have that context of what's important to that institution, I think really being clear on what that ultimate outcome is. And so I would say academic and athletic performance indicators are probably always going to be in that repertoire of like being able to see, are we really moving the needle in these areas that are student athletes are most um, commonly evaluated on. That's really important. I'd also add um, just general well-being and experience and life experience, sport experience are a big part of that puzzle too, that I think could be foundational in any program. And so there's definitely a few measures from the literature that that look at overall well-being and, and um, life experience, which is great. Then I also think staying true to what is expected of, of you. So every school or organization, as you as you know, has very important p- uh, pillars that are important to the the school. And so when I came to Cal, the, there were three that were laid out that were really important: leadership development and personal development, career development, community engagement. And then I added the fourth, well being, um, high performance, and well being, which is the sports psychology professional, to make this a really comprehensive model. And so I think being able to look at, you know, what's expected of you from a donor intent, AD, uh, university president, chancellor standpoint, and then defining what's really important to that department. So in our case, I think career outcomes are certainly a, a foundational piece of this puzzle and where our students are headed after, after college. And then I think it really does depend on, you know, what's, what's important to that that school. So we've, um, I can give you sort of an idea of, of our ultimate measures too. I've, I've mentioned a few of them today, but one of them is being multidimensional and is our student athlete excelling in school, sport, and life. And that's where those academic and athletic indicators and sport like life experience indicators really come into to focus. We're looking to see if they've developed as authentic leaders that are really understand their values and live them and practice them. We're wanting to make sure the student athletes really contribute to team in a meaningful way. And team isn't just their athletic team, but their academic groups that they're part of, 
you know, teams in I'm, life. And sort of interrupt, I'm just curious, are you doing this from a two-sided approach? Like, so obviously this sounds like they have to be self-reported. So it's a self-report from the student athlete. Are you countermeasuring that with coaches or other professionals that are going to go, okay, is there some congruence here in terms of how they're viewing themselves? Yeah. Next year, Duncan, we're kind of come out with the coaches assessment that we, we want to build out as well. And so we're going to ask our coaches to answer just a handful because we have to be really strategic here. Some of our coaches have a hundred athletes on their team. So maybe answering a set of questions to validate what's, what the student athlete is, is sharing. So we'll have the coaches assessment as a part two. And I think eventually even having our own institute-wide assessment of, of how we're seeing things as well. I think we just have a ways to go before we get there. Gotcha. But right now, this is sort of self-reported from the athlete. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. I love that. I think I think starting with the assessment and evaluation office on, on a campus is a great start. They're an amazing resource. They're always called a, a different name on each campus, but there's usually always one. They often come out with the National Survey of Student Engagement. Um, so we, they, they are asking specific student experience items across the entire institution. And so we actually use some of those questions on our assessment so we can maybe make some comparisons to how our student athletes are answering the questions versus the general student body. Um, I'd also say a lot of graduate programs, if you're, if you're fortunate to be on a college campus, have um, as part of their graduate program an opportunity for students to partner with you and analyze data, help put together a report. That was a huge resource that I was able to use at Boston University when it was just me, a department of one. I didn't have the capacity to do all that. And they earned hours for their graduate program as consultants. Um, so I would say looking into what graduate programs are on your campus um, and maybe finding some partnership opportunities there. And then you mentioned the Career Development Office as well. We, we look at their first destination report that they put out, which is six months post-graduation. They ask all their students where they landed. And we found out that only 20% of our student athletes were actually answering that. So what we want to do to give back to them is actually share our data to see if it could support them. Um, so if we have more adherence, we can provide them with where our students have, have landed post-graduation. Um, I'd say those are a couple places to start. That's a, that's a great point, Steph. I mean, that's what I've always laughed at. With a, if you're a coach or you're an athlete development specialist on a campus, you could pick up a rock, throw it, and you're probably going to hit between two and three PhDs, one of which is be more than likely to help him help you out in terms of figuring out the math or whatever you need to do. Maybe not after you hit him with a rock, but generally speaking, <laughs> They'd be willing to help you out. And I think that's a great point, even for our folks who are working at a major professional environment, is there are probably many, many uh, academic professionals that would be more than willing to work with you um, if they could have the opportunity to engage in that environment. Now, again, obviously, when you're dealing with professional athletes, the surveying you know, becomes more complex for a range of different reasons. Many of them have collectively bargained. Uh, but to that end, that actually is a question I was going to ask you is, what have you seen as a sweet spot for surveying your athletes? Because, I mean, I think that's one of the crazy things, right? We've kind of touched on it a little bit is where or how do you approach that? What is the best path to, to ensure that um, you're not creating assessment fatigue? What have you found uh, that's been that's worked for you in terms of engaging athletes in your assessments? 
or have you made it mandatory, which is awesome because then they have no choice. They have to do it, which is even better. What's worked really well is finding ways to embed the assessment into something they're already doing. So at BU, it was a tied to a class for credit that they they all took and that was great. And then here we've mandated it and celebrated coaches and teams who have reached 100% completion and um, really, really grateful for that uh, buy-in. So I think to answer your question though, just coming up with a strategy up front is so helpful. And we decided to take our ultimate outcomes and measures and put it into one major assessment, as you've heard me talk about at the end of the year that the students take. Now there's pros and cons to that. There was some feedback that this is too close to finals and it's a stressful time. And we totally weighed that into our, our thought process as well. But we also wanted to get to as far into the semester as we could so that they could actually look back and, and answer based on their whole academic year. Um, so we, we took that approach of one major assessment. And then what we do is ask just a few more efficacy questions after a workshop. So we those surveys are more just to understand effectiveness and value and any feedback as a practitioner. So for example, they never exceed three to five items and they go out right after the workshop or sometimes in the workshop. And we ask you know, about the value it brought, what was effective, what could have been better. And that's really more for us as practitioners to be able to, to grow and improve. And we do report out on that data as well, um, but we keep it really manageable so that it's not too arduous. And, and that's how we've set up our, our framework. And I've seen other schools do it at the semester mark, which can also be really effective. I think if you're trying to understand what behaviors change, that's when you have to push it out beyond that particular workshop or session to really understand six months out, has anything shifted as a result of being a part of this particular program? So I think just understanding what you want to know can really guide when you disseminate that survey or assessment. And, and you're looking at it too, I guess, probably important to point out to the folks that are listening is that you're viewing this over a four-year window in terms of the athlete's life so that you kind of are going to have a baseline year one and then you're going to be able to see what kind of changes over the you know the, the following three years. I'm assuming that's what's going on, correct? Yes, that's our, our goal and something we're excited about. We've even talked about trying to get 10 years out when they graduate, how fulfilled they are in their career or professional world. And we haven't tackled how to exactly get that data, but Yes, that's that's exactly right, Duncan. Well, there's a longitudinal study in there in terms of again looking at how valuable sport is to success after, or how success in sport informs successful careers post sport, which would be interesting to kind of dive into. I'm sure. I'm sure that's crossed your mind in one way or another. Yes. Yes. So last uh, few questions here, Steph, I'm going to throw it to you after this one, but I got to ask you, what do you prefer working with qualitative or quantitative data? What gives you the most bang for your buck? I'm really glad you asked that because I've been spending a lot of time focusing on quantitative and the qualitative is just as important. It, I think the quantitative gives us those measurables, those numbers that kind of speak to coaches at times, that speak to donors and athletic directors, but the qualitative tells the whole story. So for example, when we report out on postgraduate um, outcomes and say, 
you know, this student athlete landed at this job, this salary, um, it was the criteria met, it met all their criteria. But then we have a qualitative testimonial of how critical and how important it was that they had the mentors they had through the program to help them land that opportunity and what an amazing experience it was to go through having a guided mentor through our program. I think that's where the whole picture comes into play. And so being thoughtful about that pairing is really exciting. And I actually think our donor wants to hear more of the stories than the numbers, which I was maybe a little bit surprised to, to glean at first, but I, in our annual report, we're working on pulling those testimonials and stories as well. And so I think that, I think you need both. I think it's a hybrid, a hybrid approach and um, it's something to, to consider to be able to, again, tell that full story. Yeah, if you if you don't have that narrative right, it'd be, it, the just the numbers are just numbers. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and we've actually thought about how to report out through those different audiences. You heard me mention the recruiting infographic, but when we we're going to do an annual report that goes out broadly, but our students, uh, as wonderful and amazing as they are, I don't think they're going to go to the annual report and and read it all. So. <laughs> finding a way to position a video or a Twitter graphic or an Instagram post that a student is talking about their experience in the Leadership Academy and what skills they developed, for example. Those are ways that we need to be innovative to reach and show our students you know, the impact and, and help them put words to what they're doing. So this is an ongoing experiment for us as well of how to reach those different audiences and I imagine when we sit in front of the coach the first time around, there's going to be a lot that we learn from that process. And this measure might not actually speak to them fully, or this measure could be tweaked a little bit to really get at the heart of how a student's developing their leadership skills. And so we'll be able to take that and continue to iterate the process. And I, I guess to kind of pull the thread on that just a shade further, what other steps are you taking to communicate the data that you've collected to your leadership team, um, your your primary donor, for example? Is, are there particular strategies that you're utilizing there in order to make the data that you're collecting more impactful? We're really fortunate to have the structure of advisory board meetings, which is a great way to keep us accountable and to have a sounding board and ensure that we're just on the right trajectory. And so that space allows us to have a formal 90-minute session and have a presentation in place that shares everything that we're doing. We're actually gearing up for that this August. And it's something I'm going to bring the team into because they have their hands in making this come to life. And I want them to be able to share the results from their respective areas. So we leverage more of a formal space with our donor and athletic director and the advisory board. And then we find other pockets of opportunities to share. So whether the head coaches retreat, giving some quick quick uh, updates or head coaches meetings, all staff meetings, um, any, I guess what, what I want the audience to get from this is we have to teach a culture of assessment. So no one's gonna be as excited or wrap their head around it or mind around it as much as we are. And so I think if we can be thoughtful about teaching it and talking the language and normalizing it, and making it something that is more embraced, that's how we're going to make this movement and um, happen. So us finding ways to, to do that will be a part, part of this puzzle as well. 
I agree, and and, and I got to ask this question. I know I'm probably beating a dead horse here, but I'm curious how do you how do you overcome the I guess the the objection to this this is just stats. You're just giving me numbers, especially particularly if you're talking to a coach because I've heard that this is just numbers. I, I, what am I doing with this, and how is this impactful in any way, shape, or form? Uh, and again, I'm sure you're dealing with a more enlightened crew uh, at your institution. But I, I know I've heard that in a range of different environments. You're just giving me numbers, man. What does this do? Um, what is your reaction to that? And have you dealt with that? And how have you overcome it? Yeah. And Duncan, can you share more just the numbers like when you... Oh, so like you're saying, hey, like you, you kind of use an example or, you know, like this guy's more resilient. You know, this girl's demonstrating a better growth mindset. We've seen this movement from here to here. Uh, oh, look, uh, little Johnny's stress is down, you know, things along those lines, things that are, you know, massive to the individual athlete and all contribute in a minor way to enhancing the performance and the overall well-being of that individual athlete. But again, it kind of bridges it back as to how do you communicate the immense value of that to a coach, to an athletic director in a way that they can actually go, okay, I get it. This is awesome. And it's helping me now. I'm just curious if that's uh, something that you've had to overcome. I'm sure you have. Um, I just really want to hit that again, because I know that as people begin to engage in this process and they're collecting this data, they're going to run into that brick wall. And I think if we can kind of talk about that reality, because I know I've run into it many occasions. I've run into it at the at the collegiate level. I've run into it at the professional level. What's your reaction to that? Because I don't have three letters after my name. <laughs> I don't have the DR. So I'm curious how you've been able to overcome that in a way that's actually been impactful for for your institution and hopefully for the individuals that you're trying to help, the coaches, uh, of course. Yeah. So I don't want to beat this into the ground too much, but I genuinely have seen and experienced that the more we can tie it to what matters most to the coach, the more we can really speak that language. So to your examples of the resilience and the well-being and those scores, I think that next layer of of potential is now looking at their on-field, on-court, and pool performance. And we're going to have those scores, but also I think it's actually, Duncan, going to translate into a conversation. And I'm excited about that. I think sitting with the coach and having a discussion around even asking them what they've seen as far as differences in performance. And our goal too, long-term is to be able to create some sort of unique combination of skills we're seeing in our high performers and make that the model. So for example, if we're seeing that our highest performers here are scoring, you know, better in their self-efficacy and, and their leadership ability, and they're more engaged across campus, maybe understanding what unique formula is there that we can actually use and, and leverage as far as uh, how a student has a high performance mindset. So I think that those are some opportunities. So the conversation, looking at trends and themes and being able to have discussion with coaches and really get into the heart of what's improving on the, as far as their performance goes. Um, one other thing too, that I think athlete development professionals can think about is how do you tie in our outcomes to um, contracts? So one thing I talked to my idea about when I took the role is, 
is there a world where we can actually tie athlete development outcomes to coaches' contracts and say, wow, our coaches, you know, like performance and is is also like this is a huge part of it and making that such a priority and importance. They're they're evaluated on their students' academic success. So why not also be evaluated on how their students are growing in these ways and and their engagement really and and their their buy-in to the the overall approach. So another idea that hasn't um, I think it's come to fruition in certain places. I know at UC Davis they t- attached postgraduate outcomes to coaches' contracts, and I know you have to be careful. I don't mean to say it um, insensitively. I think that, that obviously someone's contract is a big deal, but thinking about that philosophically, but also practically and how that can look. I personally think that's, it's phenomenal. Uh, if that's kind of the direction that this can kind of go, because again, I think if coaches understand, you know, kind of getting away from that old school mentality that what's taking place um, on the playing surface is only a small component piece of what drives performance, you know, performance is obviously it's built in the, the training room. It's built on the, in the practice facility. And then it obviously manifests itself on the playing surface, but you know, that represents maybe two to three hours a day of a student athlete. And there's another 21 hours in there that are, are critical to how that athlete performs day in, day out. So I think that's a particularly salient point that you kind of have to take it to that next level in order to really grasp the, the impact of how this plays out and then how you communicate the value of the data that you're collecting and tying it to these key metrics. So I think that's spot on. Uh, and I think it's part of the exciting arc that our field is going and how critical appropriate metricing is in order to have an impact on the field. Because I think you would agree if these key component pieces aren't tied to performance, then over the long run, there is a detachment from the value to the athlete at the, in the long run. And that's kind of my take. And it sounds like that's kind of where you're coming at it from as well. Yeah, that's really well said. Well, miracles do happen. Clocks are right twice a day. There we go. Well, with that, I think that's probably a great place to end it. Uh, Stephanie, is there anything else that you would like to add? Thank you, Stephanie. I appreciated your questions um, as well along the way. And Duncan, thank you so much too for guiding us. And I really enjoyed this opportunity. I, I, welcome any follow-up and and thank um thank you all for the chance to share more about this important area phenomenal again thank you very much for your time and with that our appreciation to dr marissa nichols for speaking with us today at the pads podcast so thank you again thank you so much for listening to today's podcast we really hope you enjoyed it and more importantly we greatly appreciate your support of pads we'd also like to acknowledge the support of our global partners for their ongoing support of all of our initiatives, including the Athlete Development Podcast Series. Again, be sure to be on the lookout for information regarding live Q&A sessions, and we urge you to continue to dive deep into all of the different podcasts that we're bringing to you over the coming weeks. Again, thanks for your interest and for your support of PADS.